Hey, community of faith, I hope you've had a good week this week. I hope that, uh, I know it seems like it kind of stretches out sometimes, but I've got something I really want to share with you today that God's really put on my heart. You know, we're coming to the end today of our Joshua series, and I was actually feeling a little bit melancholy thinking about it because I like old Joshua. He, he means a lot to me. You know, Moses was kind of like this larger-than-life figure. He's one of those kind of guys that you just think, I could never be like that. But Joshua's just an ordinary guy. And you look at how God used him in such a mighty way. It's, it's so amazing. You know, someone said to me just recently, they said, I just feel like it's almost like this pandemic has basically destroyed my faith. And what I was able to share with them is that trials, troubles, difficulties, what they do, they don't destroy our faith. They never destroy our faith. What they do, God uses them to test our faith to see where it is. So if your faith is destroyed, it really wasn't there in the first place. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I want to talk a little bit uh, about the pandemic test. Are you passing the pandemic test? And as we wrap up Joshua at the same time, we're going to see some words from this wise old general about how to live life and how to continue and how to be firm and how to be strong. So let's jump right in to our scriptures. I want you to see first in Joshua chapter 23, we're gonna be looking at some verses. It says this, now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side and Joshua was old, advanced in years. He's actually almost 110 that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, the heads of their judges, their officers, and said to them, I'm old, advanced in years, and you've seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who's been fighting for you. See, I've, I've apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I've cut off from the Jordan even <clears throat> to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out before you, drive them from before you. You will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now Joshua has an insight for us here. He says, so be very firm. Be very firm. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew. Shazak, firm, courageous to strengthen, to harden, to, to, to become strong. He says, I need you to get really strong about something. What? To keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or the left so you will not associate with these nations, those which remain among you, or mention the names of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. He said, I need you to get really firm about how you feel about God and what you think God's doing and what you're going to do in your personal life about God. And then he goes on, he says, I want you to cling to the Lord your God as you have done this day. Cling to the Lord your God. So what he's saying, he's trying to get them prepared for something. And I was trying to figure out a little bit of what that was, you know, but because the word cling to the Lord your God, I was trying to get it. and. Uh, as I looked at that, I think it's a little bit about faith. It's a little bit about believing. See, right now it says they had rest on all sides. Things are going really well. And all of the Israelites, they're all going like, we love God. He's so good to us. 
He's given us all these victories. Now we're resting and it feels good. And Joshua, he knows that life isn't always going to be like that. And so he's trying to say, I, I need you to like firm up a little bit. You know, when you go to the gym, a lot of us, we've lost a little bit of that firmness because our gym just won't open up, you know. But it, it, it's like you, you, you feel a whole lot firmer. You feel stronger. And here's the thing. God wants us to firm up in our understanding of him, our belief in him. Joshua goes on and he says, Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. He knows he's dying. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. He's saying to them, listen, you know deep down in your hearts right now that when God makes a promise, he always keeps it. Why is he saying that? Well, I think we know during this pandemic, maybe many of you feel it right now, it feels like maybe some of the promises of God to you are not being fulfilled right now. It feels like maybe uh, God's a million miles away. It feels like maybe... If you lost your job, you're going, God, I thought you promised me that job. I thought you were going to take care of me. I thought you were going to do. And, and he says, I am going to take care of you. But we've lost it kind of in the sense of that God cares, that he's there, that, that, that he's going to be there for us. And one of the things I've discovered in, in my life, and this is what Joshua is trying to say here. He, he's saying there are going to be times that you don't get it, but God's always working. He never stops working. Even, even if it's behind the scenes and, and, and you can't see it, he's still working. Roger Sims had just gotten out of the military for good, finally, and he was on his way home, and he was having to hitchhike home. He had his big duffel, and he's, no one was stopping for him. Finally, he said that uh, this beautiful black car, like a Bentley, it's like a brand-new Bentley, pulled off the side of the road and opened the, the, the passenger's door and and he ran with his duffel bag put his duffel bag in the back sat down he looked over there's this uh, immaculately dressed uh, older man with a tan you know like perfect you know white hair he's just immaculately groomed and um, he he introduced himself he said I'm Mr. Hanover I'm you know from Chicago and and he said you just get out of the military they began to talk and because Hanover had been in the military too and um he said, if you're going to Chicago, I can take you all the way there. He says, I, I'm, my stop, my home is right before there. So you can just drop me off on the side of the road right before Chicago. And so they had a, a little bit of time to go together. And as they were driving along, it was interesting. They began to talk. They began to share their stories a little bit. And uh, Roger said that he just kept feeling this tug. He was a believer. This tug to like talk to this Hanover guy about God, about Jesus about what it means to step into that relationship but he said you know he was like this distinguished obviously wealthy businessman and he's Roger was really intimidated but he he finally he right they were almost to his house and he said Mr. Hanover can I just tell you uh, talk to you about something really important and he began to tell him about how God had changed his life and he told him how he had stepped into a relationship with Jesus and, and then he said and, and Mr. Hanover, you can, you can do that now. If you haven't done that before, you can step into a relationship with Jesus. You can give him your life and you can journey with him and you can go with him. And 
he said Hanover pulled the car over to the side of the road and Roger for a minute thought he was going to kick him out. But then he looked and there were tears in his eyes and he goes, Roger, that's, I want to do that. And so together right there they just prayed and, and Mr. Hanover stepped into this relationship with God. Well, five years passed. Roger had a family. He had a, a little kid by this time. He had his own little business and he was going to Chicago on business and he was getting some stuff together and uh, he saw this gold embossed card and he realized it was Mr. Hanover's business card and he thought, I need to stop and just see that guy, see how he's doing. And so he, and he got to Chicago, There's, he, he finds Hanover Industries and it's this giant, tall, Im- impressive building. And he goes in and the receptionist there on the bottom floor and he says, I'd like to see Mr. Hanover. And he tries to explain that he's a, fr- a friend, an acquaintance. And she said, well, you can't see Mr. Hanover, uh, but if you're an old friend, I'll see if Mrs. Hanover will see you. And he was kind of disappointed. But sure enough, they usher him, take him to the top floor, usher him into this immaculate office. And she's there. And she said, so you're a friend of my husband's? And he said, well, not really a, a friend. And he began to tell the story. And, and uh, she said to him, she said, what day was that? And he said, that was on May 7th, the day I got out of the army five years ago. And, uh, and she said, did anything unusual happen that day? Or, and he said that, again, he was kind of intimidated. He didn't know whether to share with her what had happened, but he thought, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so he shared what had happened with Mr. Hanover coming into a relationship with Christ. And he said this distinguished businesswoman just began to weep almost uncontrollably. And then she told him, she said, my husband never came home that day after he dropped you off. I didn't know that he had dropped you off, but uh, he was in a head-on collision and he was killed. And she said, I grew up in church. I've walked with Jesus, but he never grew up in church. And I prayed for many, many, many years that he would come into a relationship with Christ. And then he was killed on the road that day. And I knew that he never had. And so I have stepped away from God. I haven't walked with God for five years. I've been angry with God. And I told God, you didn't keep your promise to me. How could you do this? And he just told me that he did. You know, when I read that story this week, I was thinking, I I just started crying myself because I was like, there's so many times that I've said, God, you're not answering my prayer. God, where are you? God, you've made a promise. You're not keeping it. You're not faithful. He's always faithful. Joshua knows it. He's trying to tell them that because there's going to be some things coming and it's going to seem like he's not faithful. You know, in a pandemic, it seems like that sometimes, where's God? Is God faithful? Is God working? Let me tell you, he loves you. He's got you on his heart. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. He loves you and something is going on and he's got a promise and he's keeping it if he's given you a promise he's keeping it he's he's doing it he's working in it listen in chapter 24 God begins to talk Joshua was talking in 23 now God begins to talk through Joshua Joshua shares God's words with them and and God tries to give some encouragement he said one of the ways that you can get firm is to recount my blessings to you recount God's blessings God talking. He says, you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho and the citizens of Jericho fought against you and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite 
and the Hittite and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, the Hakliite. I'll just see if you were paying attention on the Hakliite, okay? Thus I gave them into your hand. And then I sent the hornet before you and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your own sword, not by your own bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built. And you've lived in them. You're eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. You look, he's saying, I gave, I sent, I delivered, I drove out. Not a, men, a mention is made of Israel's mighty men of war. It's all attributed to the ultimate source because God knows apart from him, nothing happens. Joshua wants the people, God wants the people to never forget that they owe everything to God. The, the Israelite army had won battle after battle. It had been easy, been natural to think, hey, we're something special, you know? Uh, but it's important to recount God's blessings. Has God blessed you? I know you say, well, I don't feel very blessed right now. Has God blessed you in the past? We ought to do it with our families. What Joshua does with the people of Israel, it's a good thing to review past blessings and even make a written record of, uh, of what God's done. You know, do you remember when we prayed for Uncle Joe and Aunt Cheryl and they didn't know God and now they've, they've come into relationship with God? You remember when I lost my job, Dad says, and, and, and God took care of us during that time. He's gonna take care of us now. Remember those times. Another encouragement that, that Joshua gives to them is don't drift, but make a choice. He goes on in, in chapter 24. He says, now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it's disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you're living. These verses kind of tripped me up at first when I was looking at them because as I, as I read them, I was like going, no, wait a minute. He says, pick a God here, right? That's what he's actually saying. He offers them a series of choices. First, the true God, then the gods beyond the river, meaning the river Euphrates, referring to the gods of Ur, of the Chaldees, where Abraham was. Abraham used to worship uh, pagan gods before God met him and changed his life. And, and so the Ur of the Chaldees, they worshiped the gods of the ancient tradition, the moon god, the sun god. Then there were the gods of Egypt, which again was the god of the sun and rain and darkness and natural disasters. Then there were the gods of the Amorites. He said, or you can pick them. They were the gods of fertility, of sexual pleasure. What would that challenge sound like us to us today if, if he was to do it? He would say something like, well, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves whom you'll serve, whether a career or where you're gonna sacrifice your time or your money, in which place you're gonna put your trust. It's gonna be in the stock market or maybe the, the, the praise of men, which fuels your ego or possessions or, or, or maybe it's pride, which hides who you really are or social media or fantasy football or politics or whatever it might be. And just like the Israelites, we have all these things that are pulling at us all these false gods available to us. Anything that you put first in your life is a God in your life. As a result, we're easily 
distracted, easily annoyed. We make demands. We want God to do what, what, what we want God to do. And, and what Joshua says, he says, I don't want you to act like you're serving God, but in your heart, you're not really serving God. Maybe you've even fooled yourself because it were really easy to do that, you know? I'm serving God, but I'm, are you mad at him right now because you don't trust him and you don't think that he's keeping his word to you? And, you know, it, it's interesting because he says, I want you to serve him with sincerity. That word sincerity in English comes from the Latin, sin seri, sin without seri, wax. And what they used to do back in olden days is when they would make pottery, if, if it got cracks in it and stuff, they would go through and they would fill the cracks with wax and then they would paint over it and you couldn't even tell at all it, that it was cracked. You couldn't tell that it was even broken. You couldn't tell because the wax would fill up all those places. And, and so when a, 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 like someone came to a shop and they were going to buy something, they would say, is this seen seri, sincere? Is this a sincere pot right here? And, or is it covering up? Is it hiding? Is it got flaws that, and, and what, what is so interesting here is that Joshua is saying, serve him sincere, sincerely, uh, in all your flaws, just the way you are. All of us are broken. All of us are dealing with things. We're dealing with shame. We're dealing with heartbreak. We're dealing with failure. We're dealing with all kinds of stuff. And, you know, that's okay. God still wants to be your God. He says, just come to me just like you are, but don't pretend. The one thing I can't stand, God says, is you pretending that I'm your God when I'm really not your God. Because other people look at that and they say, well, you know, if that's the way that God works, if that's the way, uh, you know, God moves in a life, then there's not much to it. He says, I want you to be sincere. I want you to say, this is just me, broken, but I give all of myself to you and I'll serve you wholeheartedly. And it's important that we do that. And so he says, I want you to do that. And he says, but I don't know what you're going to do. But he says something that we've been saying now for 3,000 years. You've probably heard it. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, we live in a world that, that downplays the value of the home. I, I, think, I think a lot of parents, we don't realize the kind of world that our, our children are facing each day. Things have really changed. They just really have. I mean, our kids see more. They know more. They, you know, sex talk is nothing to them. They hear it every day. And against this reality, we have to realize that, that home is the place that's going to make the impact. Home is a, a place that is going to make a difference. The salvation of our kids has got to be our number one priority, says James Dobson. And Joshua understood that. And guys, can I just talk to you for a minute? Because I, I think that when we look and we see all the turmoil around us and we see so much that's going on in our nation even, much less the world, that we've kind of just kind of abdicated the position that God has for us in the home to be one of the big leaders 
to be a co-leader with your wife, but to be the one that like says, we're gonna, we're gonna serve God. We're gonna step in. We're gonna do this. It just seems to me, it's so interesting to me that when you go back to the very beginning, there's Adam and Eve, you know, and, um, and then they, they, they see the, the tree. There's the devil, the Satan, the serpent. He's there and he, he deceives Eve into eating from the tree. What's the tree called? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sometimes you just think, oh, that's the evil tree. It's not an evil tree. It's a good and an evil tree, all right? Um, it's got good on it. It's got evil on it. It's, it's kind of a Google tree, okay? Because it's like knowledge. It's information, you know? It's like, don't eat from the Google tree, all right? Uh, because there's a lot of information there. And what, God, what is God trying to say to him? He's just trying to say, basically, look, I want you to get your information from me. I, I want you to hear my words. I want it to be revelation to you, not just knowledge that puffs you up. I want you to hear, I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how to live life. And when I think you need to know something, I'll let you know it, if you'll just trust me. But see, the whole core of it was the serpent, the devil was going like, did God say that you shouldn't eat of this and that you're gonna die? He knows you'll be like him. You can't really trust him. And, and so there's this, this lack of trust thing. But after they both eat of it, and it's almost like there's this thing that is kind of unplugs from them. And so Adam and Eve both, they're just like unplugged after that. You know, there's death in the center of it in their parenting and everything else that we see down, down through the, the rest of their life. It's kind of an unplugged kind of feel. A death feel is already in it, just like God said there would be. But God comes in the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? God didn't know where Adam was. Adam's got fig leaves on. He's hiding behind a tree about three feet over here, right? Probably like Charlie Brown, half of him sticking out. He doesn't know how, how, how that works. You know, you ever seen those pictures of Charlie Brown hiding behind a tree and his whole giant head's around it? But it, it's like, Adam, where are you? It's not, it's not a question of location. It's a question of position. He said, Adam, remember when I gave you the garden? And I said, I want you to, to, to watch over. I want you to cultivate this. And the word cultivate in that original language means to guard it, to protect it. There's a sense that, that guys, that we are to be protectors. It's, it's kind of built in, but to protect, to guard. But we don't do that. We let the women in our lives just face whatever they're going to face. You know, we're not there. For, sometimes we're the ones that are causing half the, half the issues. But God's going, I've got you. I want you to stand up. I want you to be a, I need you to be a father. This kid needs a father. I need you to stand. He says, I looked for someone to stand in the gap. I looked for a man to stand in the gap, he says. And I didn't find anybody. So he wreaked destruction. And uh, there are a lot of males around at that time, but he didn't find a man, he said. You know, you look at that, it's like, what is he really trying to say? He says in Malachi chapter four, I'm gonna send a messenger before the end of time, before the great day of the Lord. He's gonna restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers so that I don't have to come and put a curse on the land. There's something about us not being where God wants us to be. I'm, I'm not talking about men and women. You know, we're equal, obviously. 
God has set this up. We lead together. But there's a place that the man is kind of like step back and going like, hey, absentee, not there. Not, in my, not, not walking with these kids. I mean, if your kids have to say, dad, are we going to watch Community of Faith today? Uh, are we going to go to a watch party today? Then, then you're probably, if they have to ask you that every, every weekend, you know, are we going to pray together? If your wife has to say, are we going to do devotions? Or are we going to read the Bible? Are we going to walk with these kids? I want you to step in, guys, and be all that God wants you to be. You need to say, our family is going to serve God. We're going to go to one of those watch parties, or we're going to be involved on, in one digitally, and we're going to do this. We're going to step into this. We're going to begin to move forward. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's important that we do that. You know, you don't even know what you're missing when you don't serve the Lord full out. After Laura's freshman year at Baylor, she just got on fire for the Lord. And I mean, she was just telling everybody about God. She was going to every Bible study she could. She had dated a guy a few times uh, in her freshman year. He was a super nice guy. I didn't like him at all. But she wrote to him in the summer and she said, I'm going with God and we're not going out anymore. And he wrote back to her, sad, embarrassed. He said, I'm a believer too. I was just too afraid to stand up for God. But I really like you and I can do better. Too late, buddy. Mark's got her now, all right? So, uh, you know, here's the thing. You miss the most amazing, godly, full out for Jesus beauty because you were embarrassed of God, half-hearted, doing the Baylor party line kind of thing. What are you missing right now? I mean, are you believing God? Are you trusting him? I don't want you to miss what he wants to do. And the kids, they're always watching, aren't they? I I read this thing this week. It says, when you thought I wasn't looking, written from a kid's perspective. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat and I thought, it's good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake for me. And, and I knew that little things are special things. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer. And I believed that there is a God I could always talk to. Israel makes a response. Joshua says, serve. You got to serve somebody. And I, know, I want you to make up your mind today who you're going to serve. And here's Israel's response. Are you ready for it? Joshua's been trying all of his life to get Israel to be full out for God. And here's what they say. The people answered and said, no, not like in a monotone altogether, thousands of people going, far be it from us. It's like different ones are yelling things out. And this is kind of the collection of it. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through whose midst we passed the Lord drove out before us all the peoples even the Amorites we will serve the Lord for he is our God now you think Joshua he's 110 and finally the people are going like yeah but then comes this really shocking response Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord. What? 
you just asked me to serve the Lord. And then I said, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then he said, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. Here's Joshua. He's been spending the whole chapter, uh, uh, you know, trying to get them to serve God. And then they say, we're going to serve God. And he said, no, you're not. What is going on here? I can kind of imagine the scene. The people are going, did, what, what did he just say? Did, I, I, what is it? it probably got really tense in that moment. And Joshua goes on. He gives two reasons for his startling statement. He says, because God is a holy God and God is a jealous God. But I want you to notice something. There's a huge shift in focus here. You see what the Israelites are saying? Even some of what Joshua had said, even some of what God had said, because it's important that we focus on his blessings, but his blessings aren't the reason that we worship him. His blessings aren't the reason that he's our God. Because if his blessings are the reason that he's our God, he won't be our God in a pandemic. He won't. We will forsake him. He said, he's a jealous God. He loves you with all of his heart. He only wants the best for you. And he's jealous of anything that would keep the best away from you. He's a holy God. And, and he, he wants to see you live a, a, a life that it just follows hard after him. And it's pure and holy because he knows how joyful that is. And he's saying, I want you to serve God because of who he is, not because of what he does. Let me ask you something. That, 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 that to me, I mean, that hits home to me right now because some of you are going like, I was serving you and you were blessing me and I felt like I had all these promises and now I'm not getting any blessings. Maybe I even lost my job. Maybe I lost some of my, you know, savings in the bank. Maybe whatever it is. I think Joshua's trying to shock the people. He's trying to shift their thinking from a God who does stuff for them to a God who is holy and jealous for their love and their service. And, and, and not that they're going like, yep, we're going to serve God because he does stuff for us. He's really good. That's why I hate the prosperity gospel because it's not the gospel. And if you go to Nicaragua or Burundi, it, it just doesn't work. Here's the thing. We serve God because we love God. And God loved us first and we realize it and we understand that. And it's who God is that we're worshiping, not what he does, his character. See, if we don't understand his character, we're going to waver with our circumstances. Let me just, I know it's kind of heavy, but let me just try to make it simple. I believe Joshua is saying God is so much more than we dare to imagine. We have nothing he needs, nothing that will make him complete. He is complete in who he is. He's holy and we're not. He's perfectly faithful. We are not. He's perfectly lovely and he loves us unconditionally. We don't. We're fickle and we can't serve him by just saying, okay, I'll serve him. So what hope do we have? That sounds pretty, pretty desperate. Well, I have a one word response. We see it even through the Old Testament, weaving a thread. It's grace, grace. Because of God's grace, we're invited into relationship. 
because of what he's done for us as we step into that, he even gives us the power to walk with him, to believe him, to stay with him, to persevere with him. We won't last if we simply try to serve him because of what he's done for us. As mighty and miraculous as those things have been, but we can serve a holy and jealous God because he's invited us into his family, into his friendship, into relationship by his grace. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything I need to do through him who gives me strength. So I think the pandemic is God's tool to reveal where your faith is or if there is faith. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 said this. Realize this. In the last days, difficult times will come. See if this sounds like we might be in the last days. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power. God, please don't let that be our churches. Holding to a form of godliness, but it really has nothing to do with everyday life. It doesn't change your life. And see, I think in such a short time, We think God doesn't deal with us like he did with Israel, but I think he does sometimes, the way he dealt with ancient Israel. I mean, you think about it, he should take away everything they worshiped as an idol in place of him. He would take it away in an instant sometimes to get them back on track. What about us? You wanna worship athletes? I'll shut down the stadiums, God says. You wanna worship musicians? I'll shut down the civic centers. You wanna worship Hollywood? I'll shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? That's coming too. I'll shut down the economy. Maybe even collapse the stock market. You think you are what you do? Millions of jobs are going away. Adam, where are you? Adam. And you know, the word Adam, it just means dirt. Did you know that? Because he made Adam out of the dirt. And he says, feel your vulnerability, your mortality how fragile you really are, little dust bunny. You you are so fragile. And God treats us as fragile. He's mindful that we're just dust. He says, hey, you've been real comfortable just sitting in church anonymously. I'm gonna shut down those, those beautiful church buildings. You'll have to meet in small groups and teams. You'll, you'll have to do watch parties with, with just a few. You can't play church anymore. You gotta be church now. I love you, you love me. I'm gonna grow our relationship however I have to, whatever the cost. Maybe we should take a little bit of this time of isolation when, when we're kind of pulled back from some of the distractions of the world and have a, a personal almost revival in our hearts and saying, God, I wanna meet you here. Not because you bless me, but because of who you are. Can I just tell you, that's been the most amazing, the most amazing experience of my life 
to know this holy and jealous God who sings over me in the night, who loves me in spite of the fact that I'm cracked and shamed and broken. He still loves me just the same. He doesn't need anything from me. He's whole in himself. The people made a second reply, and I'll just close with this. They said, no, Joshua, you said we can't, but we are. We're going to serve the Lord. We will. We will. We're going to do it. And Joshua says, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are. We're witnesses. And he says, so put away those foreign gods and incline your heart to God. And they said, we'll serve him. We'll obey him. They were so full of self-confidence. And, and they vowed, whatever comes, we're going to serve the Lord. And, and they were just persistent that they were going to do it. And Joshua said, you can't really do it. Oh, yeah, no, we're going to do it. Let me just read you from the book of Judges. Joshua, right after Joshua dies, it says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. All that generation also was gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger as they forsook the Lord, and they served the god Baal and the god Ashtaroth. They didn't make it very long. And you know, without God's help, we won't either. James and John came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we got something we want to ask you special. We'd like to sit, when, you come, when you're the big king of everything, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your right and on your left. You know, we'll be kind of like little mini rulers, you know. And, and Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you endure the baptism that I'm about to endure? Oh, brother, we got it. We got it. We can do that. And he said, yeah, you will do that. But to give those places, that's the Father's to do, not mine. But you'll endure the baptism that I'm going to... And he was talking about the cross. James was the first to die. John was the last of the apostles to die. They had no idea what they were talking about. But was God faithful to them in spite of all that? Yeah. All through their lives. All through their lives. John was the one that talked about his faithfulness on his deathbed when he's old, old man. It's interesting the Bible says in lot, several places, it says it's kind of like there are two Adams. There was the first Adam. He was born and, and he fell and he just pulled us down with him. It's kind of like the idea, let's imagine climbing Mount Everest and Adam, the very first Adam, he's the guide in the front and we're all tied together by a rope. But they said another Adam came. That was Jesus, the new Adam, the new man. And he brought hope. And he changes everything when we step into him. So Adam, he falls 
we're on this tiny little shelf of a, of a path. We're almost to the top of Everest. Adam, our forefather, he falls and he starts dragging us. We're going with him. We're all falling with him. But the last Adam takes his pick and he hammers it to the wall. In fact, if you look and you looked close, you would see the line that's holding us there is running right through his hands, right through his feet as he dies on the cross for us. But he's held firm to the mountain and he pulls us back and he says, I will enable you to do what you need to do. I'll do all of it. I'll do everything. Right now, you feel like you've come to the end of yourself. That's okay. It's not a bad place to be because his power is made perfect in weakness. And he wants right now to show you how much he loves you. You say, but I don't have anything to offer right now. I'm just angry. It's okay. Just come to him like that. Seen, Sari. You know, we try to like put on all the makeup and do all the stuff and go, hey God, I'm just, you know, I love you so much and, you know, I'm great. You're not great. You're falling apart. You're going down for the last time. He knows it already. When he reached down to Peter, when Peter tried to walk on the water and he, and he went down, he, he looked at him and he, he called him a nickname. He said, little faith. Where's your, why didn't you believe? But see, I don't think it was because Peter sunk. I think it was because Peter didn't realize that God would reach out and rescue him. He didn't have the faith that God cared enough to pull him up. He had failed. He went under the water and Jesus reaches down and pulls him up and he goes, little faith, I got you. Will you let him have you? All of you. Will you put away the foreign gods? Will you put away the prosperity stuff? God, if you bless me, will you realize, will you trust that he's working even if you don't feel the promise being accomplished right now? Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're working in the midst of this pandemic. And I ask that as we come out of this, that we would be firm like we've never been. We would be anchored to you, to your word, to your promise, to who you are, more than your blessings, that we would love who you are and our relationship with you. Help us to step into that. You've got to do it. You've got to do all of it. Some of us, for the very first time, we're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Be the boss of my life. God, we want to walk with you with all that we are. We want you. We're desperate for you. Not for what you can do, just for who you are. Thank you, God, that you've heard us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe you're with some people right now. Maybe you're in a watch party or you're just there with your family. I've got three questions I want you to discuss as we close out today. The first one is, I said trials don't destroy your faith. They test your faith. I want you to share a time when something tested your faith and talk about that a little bit with each other. And then question number two, one way to stand firm in God's promises is by recounting his blessings. Remember, uh, spend a couple of minutes recounting the blessings of God in your life, just out loud with each other. I think it's really important, whether you're there as a family or you're in a watch party, it's important that we remember these things. And then question number three, we're to serve God because of who he is and not what he does. 
And why is that distinction important? Why do you think that, it, that is an important distinction? Discuss that a little bit. And, and um, I think it's going to be exciting just to, to share that with each other and find out even more about each other as you find out about God. I want to call your attention to the number on your screen. We have prayer for you 24-7. If you're listening on Sunday morning, we're here for you. If you're listening during the week, if you're listening a month later, 24-7, there's going to be someone that answers the phone and prays with you. So give us the chance to do that. If they don't answer in the middle of the night, they'll call you back as soon as they can. So you call them. They want to pray with you, and they're available even right now. I love you so much, Community of Faith. I hope this week is a great one for you as we press forward. We're starting a new series next week. We're calling it Pandemonium. Pandemonium, it's a pandemic. What are the lies that you might be believing about God, about the character of God, about what he's doing during the pandemic? Love you. We'll see you soon.